0: Hey, it is, it's good to be back with you guys today. I, uh, I'm so thankful again. I say this often whenever I get a chance to be out, but we have, are such a blessed people to have uh, people that can preach regularly and preach the word faithfully. Uh, I'm thankfully, I'm really thankful for Kenny Baker and Heath Harrell, the way they handled the word, the way they studied and the way they prepared, the way they preached. So I'm thankful for these guys. I know you are as well. I know you uh, have expressed that to them, and I'll pray that you'll continue to do that as uh, men come and preach and uh, from time to time uh, share the word with you guys. So thank you guys specifically for uh, continuing to be faithful to the word. It is Thanksgiving week. Amen. Who's excited? I'm excited. It's a big week around here for us at Thanksgiving. We do a big deal here at Refuge. So if you don't know about that yet, we're going to talk about it a little bit more. But we feed a ton of people. And I think our numbers are close to 500 already that we're planning to feed. That doesn't count us. That's people that we're taking meals to. So it is one of my favorite things that we do. This will probably be the biggest one we've ever done. So... uh, I'm really excited about that, but Thanksgiving brings a lots of traditions, right? And, and so there's things that we're remembered that we remember about our traditions in Thanksgiving. What are the things that you think about when you think about Thanksgiving? The things that you remember, the things that are, are really etched in your mind about Thanksgiving? Turkey, bowl. Turkey yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> Egg bowl, yeah, of course. That's right. That's right. I'm not friends with any Ole Miss fans this week. Standard. <laughs> standard. Nicole, I'm looking at you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's lots of traditions though that you probably have that, uh, that are in your family that you remember, some things that you're remembered for, and we're going to look at that in today's text. Not about Thanksgiving remembrances, but people are going to be remembered for some things from today's text. And it's I just want us to jump right in and take a look and see uh, what these things are. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. That's where we will be uh, today. We'll pick up in verse 17 uh, from where Heath left off last week. Uh, last week's text uh, obviously was talking about Cain and Abel and about how um, uh, Cain killed Abel and how he was really distraught about the when God <laughs> came to him and how he would, we didn't know what he was going to do. The text tells us a lot of things. He said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. From your face, I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, it's not true. And we're getting into more of that today about what the, how that relates to our text today. But then we're coming out of the Cain and Abel story into today's text in verse 17. So we'll pick up there in 17. Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, very cleverly, Enoch. Uh, to Enoch... Uh, was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mahujel, and Mahujel fathered Methushel, and Methushel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the lyre and the pipe. Zilla. Also bore Tubal Cain, again creative. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy sevenfold. And Adam, To his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed Abel. To Seth was also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh, and at that time the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so, as we think back uh, again a little bit to last week and uh, Heath's preaching, uh, he reminded us of a, quest, a, a pressing question that seems to run through um, this text. And God asked it of Adam's the same kind of question in chapter three. Uh, it, I ask it of each of you, and and um, uh, and Heath voiced it again last week. Where are you? It's something that was asked of uh, of Adam and Eve, and and Heath reminded us of that. Where are you? Where are you? Where was your brother? That was one of the questions that was asked last week whenever uh, Cain had killed Abel. Where's your brother? Trying to find, draw some things out. And so the question we have to ask in light of that is where are you in your walk with Jesus? Where are you in your Christian life? Where are you, this very moment, not about where you've been, not about where you think you want to be, but where are you? Where are you existing today? Where are you living today? Where are you fleshing these things out today? Where are you? Where are you in your relationships, both your vertical relationships with God and in your horizontal relationships with one another? Where are you? It's something that we all kind of, run, kind of want to run and hide from as well sometimes, right? Yeah. I mean, we want to run and we want to stay hidden and we don't want anybody to ask us this question because it's like the how are you question. You're, you know, the, I'm doing fine and you move on to the next question until somebody comes back and goes, no, how are you? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You just felt that right then, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, no, really, how are you? And the same thing, where are you? No, no, where are you? And so those are things that we have to think about as we read through this Old, text, te- old uh, Testament text, where are you today? We'll press on in today's text, uh, and some of us will be aware where we are, and we'll find that some of us won't be aware, and we'll just continue to go our own way. Some of us will go the way of Lamech. See what that looks like today. This part of Genesis, in this particular part of chapter 4, uh, this talks about the, 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 the progressive life of what it looks like in the fall after, after the fall of man, it talks about the consequences of sin that we'll see today, and then we'll see the extension of God's grace. I love to see God's grace poured out in the Old Testament as we read these Old Testament stories. So, so the, uh, this passage follows Cain's punishment and really the impact of mankind and what it looks like after that. And, and our sin today, uh, much like Cain's, affects us as individuals, right? Yes. But it also affects other people. That's right. It affects a lot of other people. We don't get to just live in our own personal uh, uh, lives in our own little cocoon. Don't be deceived. Our sin has great effects on other people our sin will continue to ripple out into our families uh, throughout the generations even until somebody chooses to do something different. Until somebody chooses to live differently, the effects of our sin will continue. This passage is more of the story, more of what's going on after the creation of the earth. There's a poem in the middle of it uh, that they Just a, a, a small section that we'll get to. And then we see the, um, the impact of what it looks like to follow, uh, follow the ways of God. So the first part of our text is really Cain's lineage. Let's look and see what the text says about that in verse 17. Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Ered, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahugiel fathered Methusiel, and Methusiel fathered Lamech. All right. Yeah, there you go. I'm, I got it. <laughs> and Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the other one was Zillah. Ada bore Jabel, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. And Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain, and he was the, fo- uh, the forger of all instruments of bronze and of iron the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. So the word name occurs uh, like seven times in this passage. We're talking about naming people. Uh, throughout the text, we'll see real two opposing paths uh, in this, in the naming of people and the way these, uh, this lineage of this family happens. There'll be two opposing paths that happen. Uh, and, and one, we'll see the importance of making a name for ourselves, And then in the other line, we'll see this contrasted with the way, uh, the way the passage ends, and that is invoking the name of the Lord Jesus. Or, or in here, it was invoking the name of the Lord, not the Lord of Jesus at the time. They were invo- invoking the name of the Lord. Making a name for ourselves is contrasted with uh, making much of the name of the Lord. So how do we make a name for ourselves today? <clears throat> how does that happen today? Fame. Fame. Yeah, what we do, right? What else? How do we make a name for ourselves today? Reputation. Reputation. What else? How we, live, how we live, our jobs, yeah. We make a name for ourselves and what we do and that we, we, we create our identity and who we are and what we do. How do, and how do we contrast that with making much of the name of Jesus? How do we make much of the name of Jesus? Well, well. Discipleship. Discipleship. What else? Humility. Humility. Worship. Worship, yeah. These aren't trick questions. (laughs) Talk about him. Talk about him, yeah. Talk about Jesus. Dude, we come together, we did it today. We sang the name of Jesus today. We worked, We listened to the text, we, we study the word of God, and we make much of Jesus and how we live our lives. And so <clears throat> what we see about these, again, in these two contrasting passages, let's pick up in 17, he says this. And Cain knew his wife, she conceived and bore Enoch, and when he built the city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, creatively, Enoch. So Cain knew his wife. So this is language for... Biblical relations, Uh, and y'all can explain it to your kids at lunch, Um, and so the question of where Cain's wife came from is always an interesting one, but that's not the point of today's text, Um, uh, uh, but what we do see is that God allowed Cain to survive, okay? God allowed him to survive and honestly blessed him with a family, so despite what went on, despite the sin that happened, despite the sin that he found himself involved in, God still chose to uh, put his hand on him and, and, and ha- let him have a family and let him establish himself. And we're very thankful that- about that, right? Yes. I mean, as people who are sinful people, we're really glad that God chose us in his amazing grace to allow us to have families and allow us to have jobs and allow us to establish ourselves, amen? Yes. Come on, I need some amens from you sinners. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, the reality is we're happy that God is full of grace, and we see the grace even in this kind of thing in the Older Testament. And so from the text, we see that he, uh, he built a city, and why did he build a city? You know, I think that he was just trying to uh, offset that whole piece of him being a wanderer. He went and established himself, though, and, and so, because the previous text tells us this. He said, the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth and received your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield your strength. You shall be a fugitive and wander the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have given me today. Uh, you have driven me away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth, and whatever whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. Not so. So Cain built a city, and I think more than likely, it was just to establish some permanence. To say, I don't want to be a wanderer. I want to found a place where I can live. I don't want to have to wander for the rest of my life. So let's jump on, and we'll pick up in an 18 and see this. which talks about Lamech. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methusiel. And Methusiel didn't like this naming pattern and fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the other name was Zillah. And so this text shows us that really five generations, so we're six generations from Adam, uh, that the sins that began with them were still infecting their offspring. That's right. Okay? So the sin that began with Adam was still coming on down, and it was still playing itself out. And so listen, listen dad specifically, listen. Sins of our father, sins of us. We're not going to go back ahead of us. We're going to start with us. Okay? Okay. So let's be real here. Our sins affect those around us and down line. They just do. How we live our lives, how we... uh, How we follow Jesus or don't follow Jesus affects those in our lives horizontally right now, and it affects the lineage of our lives down line. It's inevitable for it not to. It affects our kids, and it'll affect their kids, really how you choose to live today, how you choose to live your life today, how you choose to invest your life today, specifically men. Yes, it's for women too, but specifically men. Your children, your families, your wives, all the people around you in your lives need to see you investing your life in the things of God. If you want that to happen for your kids, if you want your generations below you to, to follow Jesus, then you have to invest your life in following Jesus today. If you, I'm... I'm Can it change? Of course it can. We see that happening where the Spirit of God awakens someone along the lineage of people and they choose to follow Jesus. But why why let that happen? Men, follow Jesus. Men, be disciples of Jesus. Men, disciple your families. Give them the best shot in the world. Pile the kindling around your family and let the Holy Spirit continue to light that fire. That's part of our calling, men. Part of our calling. Generations of people were affected by this sin. And so a few of the generations that we read about here, they just kind of got a pass. They just listed their names and they just moved on past them. They were the funny names that we read. and, And then, but not Lamech. They stop and they talk about Lamech a little bit. And the story seems somewhat innocuous. And if you begin to read texts like this, you're like, okay, it's just giving me some history. I'm going to move on. But it seems somewhat innocuous. But what jumps out about you about Lamech that was different than anything that's happened so far? Say it again. Yeah, the ladies are going, he took two wives. Uh-huh. Yeah, verse 19 says, and Lamech took two wives. And so Lamech's sin sin is kind of twofold in this text. One, uh, uh, we, we see where he took two wives. And so first, Lamech was the first to practice polygamy that we see that's recorded in the text. So one of the devastating consequences of sin is really its effect on marriages. The devastating consequences of sin really plays itself out a lot in our marriages. Because our marriages are supposed to be a picture of What? Come on, say it louder. Christ and yeah, Christ in the church, right? That's what the New Testament tells us, that our, that our marriages are supposed to be a picture of that. But sin, and we, we are sinful people, and many times our sin rises up, and we really suppress the spirit, and, and, and our sin causes us to do crazy things within our marriages. And it causes destruction within our marriages. But marriage is tough. I mean, can I get amen? amen. Let me say that again. Marriage is tough. Yeah, there we go. Come on, you know I'm you know I'm preaching about that. And because of the sin in Genesis 3, we know that marriage is tough down here in 2019, almost 2020. If you're here and you're married or you're gonna be married or have been married in the past, you'll know that marriage is tough. What do you think the toughest part about marriage is? The wife. The wife. <laughs> All right, let's pray. We're going to shut it down right there. (laughs) Somebody got an extra room where he can stay. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Someone else answer. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think the toughest thing about marriage is? unity trust these are much better answers <laughs> picking what to eat yeah where are we going after the heat after church today that's a tough one right i don't know i don't, I don't know i don't care you just pick a place captain d's no not there <laughs> <So> <laughs> communication styles yes all these are difficult things Finance. finances Finance. yeah all these things are very difficult right I mean, all these things are tough. Now, thinking about how difficult it is, what if you had two wives? (laughs) Whew. Or I'll give it to you ladies, what if you had two husbands? You you know what I'm saying? I mean, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's difficult enough as it is. And we got double trouble. I mean, that, that's crazy. I mean, I don't really mean to make light of this, even though when we think about it, that is crazy to think about wanting that to happen. Um, but really, polygamy, it gets normalized in our society today. I mean, here in 2019, we see TV shows about polygamy. We see that, and it's kind of a normalizing of, of, of the, of the uh, affecting and changing and the morphing of what God created for marriages. Because he created it for it to be a man and a woman, he created our marriages to be lasting and impressions of the gospel. Uh, and again, we see just a twisting and a moving away from God's design and what it's supposed to look like—that a man and a woman loving one another uh, for the rest of our lives. The scripture—I uh, mean, the marriage uh, uh, pattern was to be until death do us part. Uh, one woman, one man. Based on the Lord Jesus Christ, the way he loved the church and gave himself for her. We'll talk about marriage a lot. I won't get sidetracked here. That's what our marriages are supposed to be sacrificial pictures of the gospel. Sacrificial pictures, so that when people look at our marriages, your marriages, they can see a picture of Jesus and the church. There's multitudes of other things that are good about marriage, but for us as Christians, is supposed to be a picture of the beautiful union between Jesus and his church. And so think about that in your own marriages. Are we depicting those things today? Let's keep moving. Um, as we see, well, before we do that, I mean, at... Part of a wedding text, uh, we, we see that uh, from Genesis, earlier in Genesis, the Lord God said, it's not good that man shall be alone. I shall make a helper for him. That's what he did whenever there was Adam and Eve. We use these a lot of times whenever we do marriages, whenever we do marriage ceremonies. And, and the and the rib that the Lord God, he took from the man and he made into a woman and brought her to man. And the man said... This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I mean, think about your vows. I mean, that's what Adam said to Eve whenever she she walked down the aisle and you know and and he said, "Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh." And she's like, "You are sexy." You know, uh, <laughs> you've been taken from here. <laughs> Come stand close. I don't, I don't know what it is. What she said. Uh And therefore a woman shall, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And and what has happened is Lamech here has now distorted that whole thing. He's distorted that whole beautiful picture that was created for there to be one man and one woman in a loving relationship. He's distorted the design that the creator had made for marriage. But not only did Lamech practice polygamy, Lamech also committed murder. Look in verse 23, this is what the text tells us. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. And I think the difference in Cain's murder and uh, Lamech's was uh, that Lamech was clearly aware of what had happened with Cain. He was clearly aware of the judgment that had come onto Cain whenever that happened. This was something. This was part of his family. He knew this. Oh, he, he did this with eyes wide open. He knew what had happened to Cain and Abel, and he still continued eyes wide open to dive into his sin. Now, I know we would never do that. Go eyes wide open into our own sin. But that's what we see happening right here. Eyes wide. Open. Where did we see it? Where else did we see that in our text earlier? Eyes wide open. See what's supposed to happen. See what is something that we weren't supposed to. Yeah, Adam, right? We saw exactly what God told him not to do. See exactly, somebody distorting God's word, and he chose to go and do those kinds of things anyway. We see Adam doing those kinds of things. We see this pattern repeating itself over, over again. And again, you and I can look at the biblical narrative and see where the mistakes are made. Evaluate the situation rightly, yet still continue to go in our own sin. So the question becomes again, where are you? Are you doing the same kinds of things? Are you doing those same kinds of things that we see repeated in our text over and over again today? Where we see sin, we know that it's wrong for somebody else to do it, or we dive ourselves right off into the same kind of sin. Or we know where our sin is, yet we continue in it without any regard to what it is that we know God would have us to do something different. Mentally, physically, spiritually, are we aware of those kinds of things? I pray for my kids that, that in very specific ways. I pray for them mentally in their minds. I pray for them physically for their protection. I pray for them spiritually for God to guard their heart and do the same kind of things for you. You should do that for you and your family as well. Let's keep going, look at more of the text. Verse 20, Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubalcane. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubalcane was Naamah. And so these, these talk about kind of the cultural advancements that were going on during the time. And, and God gave them ability to go and do things. And he gave them giftings to do things. Uh, and, and we kind of see those things. Verse 20, it says Jubal became the father of tent dwellers. And I think of Josh Hawley whenever I think about tent dwellers. Is he, is he camping today? I think he is in his tent right now. Or, and it says Jubal became the father of all musicians. So, of course, I think of Zach Thomas and all our 30 musicians. And then uh, then it says Tubal became the father of craftsmen. And I think of anyone but me. I don't have any skills like that. (laughs) Anybody else except me. Uh, And and so this this family was using the gifts that God had given them. What are your gifts? I mean, you've got gifts. And so you should use them. You should use, sidebar, we need you to use your gifts here at this church. If this is your church family, the Spirit of God has brought you here and he has gifted you in a specific way and you should use your gifts to edify this church family. Everybody say amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to look for you. Uh, We're going to look for you to use your gifts because literally, literally you may go, well, I don't know about this and I can't really do this or I can't sing or I can't preach. There's a multitude of things that we need you to do. This church will be better because God has brought you here and has gifted you and for you to use those gifts. I promise that's the truth. All right, back to the text. Then we get back to verse 23, and we see this very same, this thing, sin's corruption. Uh, We've already talked about this verse, but we'll jump into it again. Lamech said to his wife, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, your wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. And so it's kind of written in a, in a... Poetry form is what the uh, narrators tell us. Uh, But here's the real sad part about this poem. Lamech's poem is a remorseless, callous, and arrogant rant of a man who seemingly understood the consequences of sin but did it anyway. A remorseless, callous, arrogant rant of a man who seemingly understood the consequences of sin, but did it anyway. The the Bible's really silent on the specific consequences of his sin. I would say except for the irony of a proud man that is just bragging to his two wives. He, He goes on in verse 24 and says this. He says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech is 77-fold. And so when I first read this, I read it as remorse. If, if his sin was great, then mine was greater, and he was almost lamenting. But I don't think that's what this text is about. I think this text is really saying Cain's revenge Cain's revenge, because this is what he did. This is what Cain did. He got revenge against his brother. And if you think that's big, watch me. Mine's going to be 77 fold That was something, but you watch me. He got got it back on him, but I'm going to get mine much bigger into whatever happened to me. It's going to be, I'm going to do it much greater. I'll get more than even Cain got. That's what we see happening in the text. I'll get even a bigger revenge. It's a very sad commentary on the demise of what sin does to us. Unchecked. Nobody talking about, hey, don't go down that pathway. And it just gets bigger and bigger You may find yourself there today. You may find yourself there today going, somebody did this to me, I'll show them. Somebody harmed me in a certain way, I'll get them back twice. Somebody hurt my family in a specific way, I'll see if I can't make it rain down even further on their family today. That's what we see happening in this particular text a sad commentary on what had happened. And then the text changes to God's restoration. Look in verse 25. This is what it says. Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son, called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth, also a son was born, he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So uh, Adam knew his wife again. Yeah. He knew her again. <laughs> and, and the text tells us that a Lord appointed a replacement son for Abel. And so Eve knew, and, and hopefully Seth understood, uh, that his life was really by a divine appointment. And really, the psalmist reminds us that all children are a gift from God. All children are really divine appointments for us. Psalm 127, three through five says, children are a gift from God. Not that we figure out on our own or we figure out how to make this or we figure out how to put all this together, but children are a gift from God. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. So our children are divine appointments from the Lord. And verse 26 in this text says, So Seth's son was born, he called his name Enosh. and at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so here's some interesting dichotomies whenever we get to that last verse to kind of look at and see. A Seth's offspring called upon the name of the Lord. Very, the text is very specific to say this is what they did. They were worshipers. They called upon the name of the Lord. And it really kind of contrasted against Cain's offspring. Why did it talk about Cain's offspring? It talks about what they did. This is, these were the skills they had, and this is what they did for a living. One, exalting the name of the Lord. Others, this is what they did. Their names were associated with what they did. You see the difference? One... Building at the kingdom of God. Being about all the work in God's business. One, about building their own kingdom. What are you doing? You about building the kingdom of God? Or are you about building your own kingdom? Seth and his offspring are set against Cain and his offspring. Cain's offspring did impressive things. Seth's offspring again called upon the name of the Lord psalm one twenty seven one says unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who built it. Just talked about uh, Cain's offspring again, just what they did and as a result uh, the last verse tells us as a result, Seth and his son began to call upon the name of the Lord, and, and the word call there means to invoke the name of the Lord to really uh, to to really a beg for the name of the Lord, to say, we need you, Lord. We, we, we desperately need you, Lord. To inv- we, if we're not gonna be able to do anything that we do without you, Lord. To, and, and this is remind people to say, hey, I'm calling upon the name of the Lord. You probably need to call upon the name of the Lord too. To cry out to the name of the Lord means that, hey, I'm doing it, and I wanna remind you to do that very same thing. I'm going to express my need for the Lord. I want you to do the same thing, too. Express your need for the Lord. This passage is, a, is contrasting two families Seth versus Cain, their offspring against one another. What we know is that the wonderful talents of Cain's offspring couldn't overshadow the sin that plagued that part of the family. We know that sin brings consequences sin has consequences and, our other, and so let's contrast that with calling upon the name of the Lord we know that even whenever we are, are in our sin and consequences come for our sin many times in this text there were opportunities to call upon the name of the Lord some people chose to do that Some people chose not to do that. In this room, some of you, no matter where you are, in the consequences of sin or maybe not in the consequences of sin, have that same choice to either go your own way or to call upon the name of the Lord. Doing things on our own or calling upon the name of the Lord. Because what we know is that what God can do for us is far greater than anything that we can do for ourselves. God shouldn't be our last resort. God shouldn't be when we find ourselves in the crack that we go, oh no, here I am again. Come and get me out of this really sticky and tight situation. Honestly, it should be our first move. Calling upon his name, declaring his name, the way we see it in the text. I underline this last one in the Bible, the last part of verse 26. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord, letting his name be ever on our lips. Not as a last resort, but as a first resolve for us to call upon the name of the Lord. And so these names that we've looked at over these last few weeks preached about over the last month are all remembered for something. Here's a list of a few of them. Adam, something comes to your mind when you think about Adam. Eve, something probably comes to your mind whenever you think about Eve. Cain, that invokes something in your mind whenever you think about Cain. Abel, probably reminds you of something. Now, Lamech, It's going to remind you of something, something that they're remembered for. Seth and his offspring began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so here's the question for us. What are you going to be remembered for? What are you going to be remembered for? Lamech continued to add to the sin of his forefather Cain. And when we're away from the presence of the Lord, sin plagues a family. And I'll say this again. Men, we're called to lead our families. Actively lead our families. Passively lead our families toward the name of the Lord. We're going to lead them toward the name of the Lord or we're going to lead them away from the name of the Lord. We're going to actively be involved in pressing in and following Jesus or if we don't get involved at all and passively allow it to happen, our families will drift away from the name of the Lord. Lead your family to Jesus. Lead them away from the things of the world. Lead them to the things of of the Lord. Will we be like Lamech? He violated the laws, of the law, or he he, he uh, violated the family institution that God had put up. began to, to uh, practice polygamy. He committed murder, and Jesus said that you know if we have a hatred for people in our hearts, then we've committed murder in our own hearts. He expanded that for us, so we can't go. Well, I've never killed anybody. Jesus expanded for that for us in the New Testament. If we have hatred for someone in our hearts, then we've committed murder. Lamech's sin was compounded by the fact that there was no remorse in his sin. Sin hardens our hearts to the severity of it and its consequences. Lamech sinned in his marriage. He sinned by killing a man. He sinned by boasting of his sin. And he sinned by his arrogant refusal to repent. All of these are juxtaposed to Seth and Enoch. They sought the Lord. They honored God's name. They found that the pursuit of God's name was more important than the pursuit of their own. So the question becomes for us is this. What kind of legacy are you passing on to your children? Because we're all passing along something. I mean, we're all passing along something. History will look back. Your family will talk about you one day and remember you for something. They'll look back and go, my great-granddaddy, Scott Benjamin. <laughs> they don't tell them what goes after that. <laughs> but, but you put your name there. My great-grandmother, my great-grandfather, put your name there. will be remembered for something. What will you be remembered for? Always, say always, always Always discipling those people around us toward Jesus or toward something else. And so here's what you need to know, that no matter what you've done in your past, no matter what you were doing and, and discipling your kids up until this very point, discipling those around you up until this very point, no matter what that looks like, that there is hope for each of us. Okay? There's hope no matter if you've never discipled or you don't think that you've ever discipled anyone. We all have. But no matter what you might have done, there is hope for any of us. Just like the Lord would come to people and go, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is waiting at your door. Here's an opportunity to you for, for you to repent. You have that same opportunity. If you've been discipling people away from the cross, if you've been discipling people away from Jesus and to anything else... You have a chance now to repent and go, I want to disciple people toward Jesus. Whatever days I've got left, whatever years I have left, I want to disciple people toward Jesus. I want to disciple people toward righteousness. I want to disciple people toward the things of the Lord and not toward the things of the world. You have a chance today to do that. And you'll either do this. You'll either call upon the name of the Lord and ask for his help or you'll go your own way. My hope for each of us is that you call upon the name of the Lord. Let your story be one. When people talk about you later in life, it's not that this guy went his own way. He did it his own way. But he or she upon the name of the Lord. Let's be those people. Let's pray. God, we, I, I just want to confess that I i know that I have a tendency to do things my own way. I, I think I'm right and I think I know what I'm doing and I am confident in my abilities and uh, and I know that I have a tendency to just mark my own way and mark my own uh, pathway. I don't want to keep doing that. I want to follow you in all things in my life, and I want that to be said of the people here. We don't follow our own way, that we don't follow our own desires of our own hearts, but we follow you, that we go your way, that we don't continue to run away and so that generations of our families just continue to get worse and worse and worse and follow the pathway of the evil one and follow the pathway of this world. We have a people who call upon the name of the Lord. Will you help us to be those people? Will you help that today, that you stir in hearts today, So that literally generations begin to be changed in families today because of the way that you are working in the hearts of the people here today. So that people will look back, generations back, and go, my great-great-grandmother, my great-great-grandfather followed the ways of the Lord. And our family is different today. Do that, oh God. Do that so that Jesus' name will be made much of that lives will be changed for the better, and we will go your way. God, maybe today someone is here and they go, I I just need to follow Jesus. I I need to be part of this Christian family. I'm outside of it, and I've been going my own way, and I've been trying to make 70 times 7 my own way, and I'll try to make much of myself, and I need the help of the Lord Jesus to follow him. Maybe today is the day that someone chooses to repent of their sins and believe the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is our only hope, that we'll never do this on our own, that we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit to do these kind of things. And today you offer that to us. So maybe today you rescue someone from their sin. Today may be the day that they get set on a real new path following Jesus. So do a great work in and among us today. Not for the fame of refuge, not for the fame of anything else, but the fame of the name of Jesus. Do it, God. Do it. We ask that you will in Jesus' name. Amen.